0: Adam is perfectly right. This is a section, that, uh, a little passage that brings to an end the whole first half of the book where Paul has been authenticating their faith, his ministry, in such an encouraging way. But I don't know if you've noticed that in, the last, in, this, in these last four sermons, including this one, you've had quite an insight into what an elder is and does. It's very rare that as we are preaching through books of the Bible that you get to have four in a row that tell you what an elder's ministry looks like, what an elder's teaching looks like, what an elder's heart looks like in terms of his longing, and what an elder's prayer life looks like. But that's exactly what's going on uh, in this passage. And uh, what we want to do tonight is uh, take a look at this passage together and understand a little bit more about the centrality of prayer in a church leader's life. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, your word says that the unfolding of your word gives light, shed light on who you are, that we may see you, believe in you, love you, and know how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is the joy and the privilege of every believer to pray to talk to God on familial terms, uh, to ask Him to do for us and for others uh, the things that we could not uh, ordinarily do by ourselves. And the great thing about prayer, I hope you understand, is that we get to do it. We get to do it because of the gospel. Christ's atoning death has reconciled us to God, to God who is now our Father, our Father who invites us as His creatures to go to the Creator and ask Him for things and express our adoration to Him and communicate our thanks to Him in the true and certain knowledge that we will not be snuffed out or crushed or turned away. We're invited in. It is an awesome privilege. And uh, I You know, when you know the joy of this reconciliation with God, it is part and parcel of life, the Christian life, to talk to him. Uh, When the apostle Paul was converted himself uh, on that road to Damascus, another chap called Ananias is given a vision by the Lord to say, go and see this guy, Paul, or Saul as he was known back then. And Ananias responds with a little bit of hesitancy as if to say, I know about this guy. He, he's persecuting Christians and so on. But uh, for the Lord reassures Ananias by saying, look, it's okay. Behold, he prays. It's part and parcel of what we do as believers. Uh, but many people find prayer difficult. That's a, that's a fact, isn't it? Uh, how many of us could say that our prayer life is wonderful and that we do not struggle Well, I want to say it's not just uh, a common experience for Christians. It's a common experience in Christian leaders as well. Uh, John Bunyan is a legend in Christian ministry, author of classics like Pilgrim's Progress. He once said this, When I go to pray, I find my heart so reluctant to go to God, and when it is with Him, so reluctant to stay with Him, that many times I am forced in my prayers. First, to beg God that He would take my heart and set it on Himself in Christ, and when it is there, that He would keep it there. In fact, many times I know not what to pray for, nor how to pray. He's a legend, and He feels like that. I was talking to Derek Prime about this this morning. This is in the notes. And uh, I was just talking about the challenge of preaching through these two chapters as a pastor and how, how my shortcomings as an elder have, be, have been drawn to the fore. And then he reminded me, of course, of that great passage that a smoldering wick the Lord will not snuff out, a bruised reed He will not break. It's great that we can come face to face with some of our shortcomings in the Christian life in the full knowledge of God's love, isn't it? That He's not mega disappointed with us and ready to break us, but in fact ready to tend to us and nurture us on? Well, this is what I hope we see in tonight's passage, is it teaches us a couple of key things in relation to prayer, and in particular, church leadership. First of all, prayer is a vital part of church leadership, and secondly, growth is what church leaders ought to pray for. So, the first point is what elders should do, and the second is what members should want their elders to do, okay? So, point one. Prayer is a vital part of uh, church leadership. Now, the New Testament makes this crystal clear. It's what is both taught and modeled. It teaches that prayer is a priority for church leaders, and actually that nothing should be allowed to distract them from it. So, in one example, for example, in Act 6, there was a problem with getting food, to those who needed it in the early church, and so the church decided to set apart deacons to meet that particular need. And the main reason that we see in the text was that the church leadership at that time, the apostles, they were not to be distracted from their primary responsibility, which in their own words was prayer and the ministry of the word. This is crucial. And the New Testament doesn't just teach us that it's vital in, the area, in, in church leadership. It shows us that prayer is essential in church leadership also. I, th- I don't think you can miss this as you read through Paul's letters. His prayers, his letters are full of prayers and reveal how praying was a priority for him. I mean, how often do we find him spelling out not only what he prays for on behalf of the churches, or, but how often he's praying for them and how he prays for them, and why he prays for them. In fact, you see those three things in this passage tonight. Look with me at verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. So what is he saying here? How often is he praying? Night and day. There's the frequency of his praying. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't sleep, okay? I'm sure he's not talking about insomnia, Uh, But there is a constancy to his praying, perhaps even a a regularity about it. In other words, he makes sure that it's it's not something that slips. That's uh, how often he prays. But what about how he prays? Well, Paul prays most earnestly. In that text there, he is just in verse 10, he's heaping up the superlatives to show that when he prays for the church, his words don't just come from a list, but from his heart spoken not out of duty but out of sheer love for these people. And then why did he pray? Well, the frequency and the fervency of his prayers are really explicit, but this faith that fueled his prayers is implicit in verse 11. May our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way. So Paul prays out of an understanding of what God is like. He prays out of an understanding of who it is. He's asking to act, okay? So, it's not the fervency of his own prayers that really matters in the end. You know, it's not that they need to be, you know, gloriously, glorious in their rhetoric, you know, smooth in the way in which he presents it. No, it's the fact that he's praying to God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the all-powerful one, a father who loves to hear his children's voices who loves to give them good gifts. And he prays, of course, to Jesus too, the one who is the head of the church, the one we see at the start of the book of Acts is still orchestrating the work of his church and the spread of his glorious gospel throughout the entire globe. It's crucial. By the way, you know, when Paul prays for God the Father and the Lord Jesus to clear the way he uses a singular verb showing the clear unity of the Father and the Son. So if you ever hear anyone talking about the deity of Christ as some kind of fourth-century construct, don't believe them. Because there you have, with simple grammatical analysis, the early church's view that Jesus Christ is deity. Just in that little verse. That was an aside. All of that to say... What Paul shows us here is that prayer is a vital part of church leadership. It's not just something that we see taught in the New Testament. Not just something that we see him model. It's something that he encourages other people, other leaders to do as well. Now, Brother Elders in our church, I want to take a few moments just to speak to you in particular here. Uh, I have no doubt that you guys agree that prayer is a vital part of Christian leadership. And indeed, I am heartily encouraged by the prayers that I hear you pray. I don't know if you know this church family, but the elders meet twice a month. Um, On the first Tuesday of the month, uh, we meet to talk about all the different matters that we consider together in terms of vision or uh, things that we need to be reacting to, etc. But on the third Sunday of every month, we we meet here prior to an evening service to pray for an hour and a half. And all that we're doing is praying for our church family. Now, that's what we do practically. Uh, but actually, our brothers pray for this church family regularly. And it's a joy to hear them pray for, for you to be built up in your faith. Or to hear them pray if there is a particular situation in a member's life that is of a matter of concern that they've asked the elders to pray for, to hear their heart for that person as they pray. Uh, you, you ought to be encouraged and you ought to thank God for your elders and the way that they pray. Um, but a passage like this always puts our praying as leaders under the microscope. And it does ask us, how, how often are we praying for our church family? Are we making it a daily part of our lives? Uh, you know, Are we making the most of our members' directories that we have? Um, you know, it's not an address book for us really, it is a, it's a prayer list essentially. Are we praying with fervency for those that we're accountable for? In other words, do we love them enough to pray for them and care enough to ask God to act in their lives in ways that we couldn't? Um, many of us are encouraged by what we hear in our elders' meetings, but how is your brother elders? how is your private prayer life? If prayer is vital in the life of a church leader, now this is applicable throughout leadership, by the way, in the church. Prayer is essential in lots of different areas, but Paul is addressing, is showing us specifically what his prayer life is like as a leader in the church. What is our prayer like? Not just when people around can hear us, but when we're in private, when no one does except God. If like me, the asking of that question makes you feel challenged by this passage and uh, convicted of your sin, then w- may I encourage you to repent under God's welcoming grace. Uh, Bruce read he will not break a smouldering wick he will not snuff out and let's encourage one another to be men who pray and brothers and sisters can i plead with all of you to pray for your pastors and elders in this particular area and actually to think about how you can act in the same way that the church in acts were encouraged to act how can you operate in such a way how can you pray for your elders your church leaders in such a way that means and ensures that prayer and the ministry of the word are kept as the main priorities in their life. We can insist that they would not be too busy to undertake these things because there is no question about it. In Christian ministry, when life gets busy, what is the first thing to go? It's prayer. That's wrong and every single elder will be able to tell you that, every single pastor will hold their hands up to it. But so goes some of the pressures of ministry and the weakness of your pastors and elders. Think about these things, pray for these things, ask them and keep them accountable. So what I wanna say just in that first section is that prayer is essential and a vital part of church leadership what we see in the rest of what Paul writes here is what elders, pastors should be praying for. What do you want them to pray for you when they pray? Verse 10 to 13 shows us exactly what it should be, and the answer is growth. It's growth. Growth is what church leaders ought to pray for, not solely, but let's face it, this has to be one of the most important things that a a leader in the church can pray for people in the church. Paul makes three specific requests in this passage, but there's one common theme, deficiency. Deficiency. Now, in verse 10, he prays about their faith, but it's what? It's lacking. In verse 12, he prays about their love, but what does it need to do? Increase. In verse 13, he prays about their hearts, that is, their will and their resolve. But what is it about their hearts that he's praying about? Well, that they need to be strengthened. Now, I want to be really clear. It's not that Paul thought that these guys in Thessalonica were particularly rubbish in these three areas. In fact, they were a massive encouragement to Paul. In chapter 1, he could hardly contain his delight at just how well these guys were going on in their faith and they're, they're in their love and in their perseverance. These three things were operational, obvious, and outstanding. Paul even goes so far in chapter 1 as to call them a model church. So he's not, he's not downplaying what he's already seen in them. Oh, so why does he pray for growth in these areas? Well, quite simply, he, always, he prays for growth because in the Christian life, brothers and sisters, there's always room to grow there is always room to grow. Now, you could say that that was particularly true for the Thessalonians. They had been deprived of Paul's uh, deeper discipleship by the persecutors who drove him out. You know, anything from, he was only with them from anything from four to 12 weeks, at the most 12 weeks. He didn't spend a year and a half with them like they did in Corinth or in other places. He wanted to spend a longer time with them, but they were deprived of that. So. He wants to supply what's lacking in them in that sense, but it's it's true for all of us. There's always room to grow. There There may be tons of things that we can be thankful for in our lives, and we should be thankful for every evidence of grace that we see in us. But the fact of the matter is, in each and every one of us, no matter what age or stage we are at in our Christian life, there is always room to grow. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how godly you are. There is always room to grow. Calvin said, even those who outdistance others are still a long way from their goal Christ likeness. Brothers and sisters, this is what you should want your elders to pray for you as a matter of priority. And to pray this for you constantly. At Growing as mature believers, becoming increasingly Christ-like and increasingly effective as Christ-followers is God's goal for you. That's what he says in Romans 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the work that he is doing in us. As 2 Corinthians says, bit by bit, being changed from glory into glory. That's what he is taking us towards. Since that's God's goal for us, it makes it your elders' goal for you. My question is, is that your goal for you? Is that what you want your elders to pray for? So growth is what church leaders ought to pray for. That's what Paul models for us in this particular prayer. And what we see in this passage is that he zeroes in on three particular areas. Paul prays that they would grow in faith, in love, and in strength. Those are the three areas. So let's explore those in turn just briefly on each to understand why they ought to take priority in the prayer life of church leaders. So faith, look with me at verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now faith here pertains to what they believe. He wants them to know more. And to grow in the knowledge of God, and we know why that's important, growing in the knowledge of God leads to a greater understanding of who God is and how we ought to live to please Him. It's really quite simple. Growing in our confidence and taking God at His word, that's what faith is, taking God at His word, and living like we believe it's true, that's the very thing that helps us to make wise choices in life, that's the very thing that helps us in in all areas of life, whether it's, whether it's temptation, how do you know what to put off and how do you know what to put on? Well, growing in the knowledge of God helps you. How do you know whether or not you're… how to deal particularly with, a, with an issue that's causing great trial and consternation in your life? It's causing anxiety. How do you know how to deal with that particular thing? Well, you grow in the knowledge of our God so that you more confidently put your hand in his and allow him to lead you through these things. Growing in the knowledge of God is vital. In godliness, it helps us know how we should live. Knowledge produces faith. And necessary, the necessary thing in here is hearing the word of God. As Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul, that's why Paul prays, Lord, let me go and show them more of what they could know about you because he is absolutely certain that it will make a big difference in their lives. Peter talks in glowing terms in the very same way to Peter, doesn't he? Um, he bookends his whole prayer on the, the way that knowledge, is already, the knowledge of God has already been at work in them and bringing them to faith, but also how that knowledge is continually at work, helping them not only to know God better, but be changed, be sanctified, set apart for him. And at the very end, he closes off but growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge is in there all the time. That's what increases our faith. And this is what we ought to invite and encourage our elders to pray for us. The second thing he prays for is love. Look with me at verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So, why should church leaders pray that? love would increase in their church members. Why is it such a priority? Well, we already heard earlier at the start of our service, helpfully so, love is one of God's defining characteristics. Uh, John 3.16 tells us that it is the central motivator behind salvation. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life and that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that's news to you tonight, maybe you're here, you're just exploring Christianity, you're wondering, what is is this all about? This gospel that leads us to be reunited, reconciled with God, this good news that makes it possible for sinful people like us to approach a holy God, It's this love, it's His activity, it's His initiative in sending His Son into the world that we might look at Him and listen to Him and particularly see Him as He dies on the cross as our substitute for sin, taking our place, that people who turn from their sin and trust in His blood as the thing that reconciles God and man, that they'll be saved that they will know the joy of this relationship of reconciliation with God. If you have any questions about that, I'd love to chat to you about that. I'll be at the door for about 10 minutes after the service. Come and grab me and say, this gospel thing, I want to find out more. I'd love to chat to you about that. But love is just is crucial to who God is, particularly it defines what God has done through Jesus Christ And since love is what defines our Savior's identity and activity, then it should certainly be the defining mark of His community, the church. We are, after all, His body. He's attached His name to us, to local churches, in a way that He essentially stakes His reputation on us. And what's more, again and again... We find both from the lips of Christ and from His disciples that love is commanded. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it makes start to make sense, isn't it? It kind of gives the answer away. Why is love such a priority for church leaders in their prayer life for their members? Well, because the text tells us this, this love, when it wells up within us, it overflows to others. It it gives a true mirroring of the God of love and communicates more and more that the Savior is love. The text tells us that when love wells up within us and when we pray for an increase, it doesn't just stop at a top level, it overflows like a forgotten bath. Or a champagne fountain at a wedding into the lives of others. Not just filling up the one glass, but pouring out and filling up many others too. So here we have a leader, Paul, setting a great example. Both in what he prays and indeed in what he's done. We've seen this in the the previous verses, the first half of this letter Paul loves these guys in Thessalonica so much. He dared to tell them the gospel despite the opposition. He worked tirelessly so as to not be a burden to them. He loves them deeply with this parental affection, sacrificially serving them, and loves them enough to want something more for them in their faith even when he is not with them physically. What a model. What a model for your church leaders. Brother Elders, more important than our members' latest health struggle is their ability to love. And I don't say that to belittle health struggles, you understand. God wants us to visit the sick. God says to us that we ought to care deeply about a person's physical ills, but He wants us to care especially for their eternal ills, their spiritual ills. Those are the ones that matter most in eternity. Those are the ones that when the brothers and sisters who struggle are strengthened in these things, they offer a wonderful reflection of faith, a wonderful reflection of our God of love in those times. But we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in prayer to build them up. Following Paul's example, this greater love ought to lead us to a greater sacrifice. And that's how we encourage brothers and sisters in the church family to love each other deeply from the heart, as Peter says in 1 Peter. And indeed, who could forget and how could we miss out that one of the key ways that people who don't know Jesus come to hear about Jesus or at least have their interest piqued in the thought about this person called Jesus is the love that church members have for one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you conduct yourself in casual social relationships with each other. That's how we act sometimes, doesn't it? This is a challenge for us, brothers and sisters. No, by we, the way we love one another, love one another deeply, not superficially, not casually. Love each other deeply enough to spend more time praying for one another, to lay down the things that we might in preference want to do just out of a desire for a bit more comfort, but instead, you know, get in touch with another person to encourage them. Love is what causes us to lay down our lives for each other and offers a truer testimony of the sacrificial love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom we love and want others to love. The third thing, strength. We see this in verse 13. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all His holy ones. So why should church leaders pray for growing strength in our members? Why are strength in the hearts so important that Paul would mention them here in this brief letter, in this brief prayer, in this brief letter? Well, the answer in this section is really found in understanding what the heart is. The heart in biblical terms is not just the center of personality and the seat of the will, but the place where motives and desires are shaped. And so, you see, if our hearts are strengthened, then they are resolved to press on and to persevere with a greater confidence in what God has promised, so much so that we are hopeful of attaining it. Strong hearts don't shrink back when hardship comes. They don't wilt in the heat of affliction or weaken their resolve to trust Christ Even if others are deserting him. And how we often feel weak. Every day, don't we? We often sing that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's true. But the joy of having the Almighty God as our Savior and our friend is that we have one who is not just the epitome of strength, but the one who gives us strength out of His <laughs> kindness. And that's why church leaders ought to pray for it. That even when your church leaders cannot be with you in those moments when you feel weak, they can be praying for you that in those moments God can act supernaturally in your lives. Bring into mind that word that brings you strength, that that stabilizes your resolve and helps you press on. I hope you understand that that's exactly why we walk through books of the Bible week in, week out. Why we take so much time to preach God's words and why the Bible is really at the heart of each of our ministries in the life of our church family. It's that God strengthens his people through the teaching of his word. It equips us for ministry, yes, but it, but it keeps us going. It's food, it nourishes us and builds us up and gives us strength for every single day. Talk to each other about that afterwards. In what ways has God's word strengthened your heart? It's a good question to ask each other. I don't want to ask that question. It'll be a bit awkward. It sounds a bit holy, but that's a good question to ask, isn't it? So these are the things that church leaders ought to pray for. Paul leads by example here. He shows us, in summary, prayer is crucial to Christian leadership. And we should pray, elders regularly and passionately for our members to grow further still in their faith, in their love and in their strength. This is a great challenge to us, and I hope that it sets out for you, brothers and sisters, members of Charlotte Chapel, an understanding of what ought to be the priority for your leaders as they pray for you and as they seek to lead you. In weakness, yet depending on God's strength, these are the things that we long for in you. These are the things that we long to see you grow in, so encourage us in that, and don't shrink back from it when we encourage and when we challenge and we talk about these matters. This is exactly what you should want your leaders to pray for. Let's bow our heads and pray just now.